Uh, Time once again for this partnership between the Star Tribune editorial board, today represented by uh, John Rash and DJ Tice and WCC Radio. Chad Hartman here with you. John, I will start with you. The president of the United States starts his reelection campaign last night. It was a classic Donald Trump event. To me, it was every bit about 2015 as it was about 2000 and 2020. Hillary Clinton mentioned seven times, a lot on Robert Mueller, a lot on the, the fake news and how awful Democrats are. Do we think we're going to see anything different from the president over the next few months, or is he just going to stay with uh, playing the hits and feeling like this is working? Perhaps if poll results suggest the same outcome that they are currently, he will start talking more about the future than the past. And maybe it's not surprising that he wants to reprise 2015 and what he was able to accomplish. But what he can't forget, however much he may want to, is that he lost the popular vote to Secretary Clinton by about 3 million votes. If he has the same kind of performance, it's extraordinarily unlikely that he will be able to accomplish what he did in the industrial Midwest and win the states of Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, Michigan, by the very slender margins that he did before. So any kind of political analyst would say that he needs to expand his base, and yet nearly everything he says and does, not just at the campaign rally in Orlando, but in governance from the White House, suggests that he's reinforcing his base, not adding to it. I tend to agree with every word of that, but I can't help remembering that uh, virtually every political analyst was sure he was going to lose yep. in 2016, <clears throat> myself included. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, the president undoubtedly is the kind of guy who believes in dancing with the, the date who brought him to the yeah. to the ambassador's ball, and he's going to stick with uh, what's been successful for him, and I, you know, I, I, do, I think it's a mistake to underestimate his shrewdness. I th- do think there's a, there's a, there will be different stages. I thought the emphasis on Hillary was was kind of clever in that he doesn't really have a, a clear opponent at this mm-hmm. point. There's a mob <clears throat> of of would be challengers. He doesn't necessarily want to build up Joe Biden. Who's the clear front runner? But he has they, been at times. He, he gets mentioned more than anybody, yep. and which makes sense. But he doesn't want to make him the guy mm-hmm. uh, because he might be the toughest uh, opponent for him. Uh, the other thing is that Hillary is really the emblem of uh, uh, what, everything that's gone wrong for the Democratic Party in its relationship with the white working class, which are exactly those voters who brought him Wisconsin and Michigan and. Pennsylvania, and, and he's going to work real hard on that segment. And Hillary is still a good emblem for everything yep. they've come to dislike about the modern Democratic Party. John, let me ask you about the enthusiasm side about this. Um, he had, the president, 20,000 people at the Amway Center last night. If he goes to a lot of locations, he's going to have big crowds, right? His base is extraordinarily loyal to him. Joe Biden right now is the favorite, right? We're sitting here in the middle of June, so how much does it matter? We can have that debate. But if Joe Biden had an event right now and he had it at the X or a Target Center, I mean, I, he would not get many. He would not get that type of response. No, but I think that it reflects that the base that has stuck with President Trump, as you mentioned, 
extraordinarily loyal. You look at public opinion polls. Pew just had one relatively recently as an example. The numbers of Republicans who support President Trump are in the mid to high 90s. There's been very little drop off. That's a stunning number. It really is. And you look at presidents of both parties who often lose a much more significant percentage of their core supporters within their party. He's lost very few at this point. But the Republican Party is not expanding, according to every poll and every analysis that emerges in what where he really has challenges are with independents. And there were enough independents to get him over the finish line in 2016. And decisively, independents are breaking away from him. And the aforementioned Vice President Biden gets the most of them in public opinion polls, which is perhaps why he doesn't want to overly emphasize who at least this point looks like his most likely opponent at this point. But he just he's doing nothing again to expand beyond that really significant support, but more limited within his core. Doug, let me ask you about some of these polls involving Democrats, because a number of polls are coming out. And it surprised me at this point where many of them are saying they're inclined to vote for the person who has the best chance to beat Donald Trump mm-hmm. and that. They're willing potentially, and it's I guess it's easier to say this in June the year before, to vote for someone who might not be their top pick, but they believe gives the best chance of making the president unemployed. Do you think the Democrats can stay that way? That That's a tough way to win a race when you're saying, man, he's not really my pick, but I so abhor the other alternative. I'll still pick this guy. Well, it isn't the way to you know fill those arenas uh, yeah. that you're talking about and with and get the enthusiasm up. It is a you know very uh, pragmatic, realistic uh, approach to politics. Whether it will last, I think, is questionable because, of course, even the nomination race hasn't really begun. But That's it's true. it's going to begin soon. They're going to start criticizing one another. Uh, some are going to start dropping out, and just the excitement level of that contest will grow. And as it does, so will people's investment in the candidate who appeals to them the most and, and gets their uh, gets their pot boiling. Amy Klobuchar, DJ, comes out yesterday with her plan that if I'm president, here's what I'm going to do in the first 100 days, including a lot of use of executive powers, right? And I guess we've just come to accept this now. Obama did it a lot. The President Trump's doing it a lot. She'd like to be President Klobuchar. Does this allow her to stand out a little bit? Does she get a day on this? I mean, we've had this conversation in various iterations how somebody tries to pop a little bit when there's 23 other people out there. Well, I think she I think she gets a couple days out of it. Yeah, it was fairly a shrewd decision, I think, to emphasize the executive orders that she basically would just roll back yep. uh, the, the Trump executive orders. And you're absolutely right that the hypocrisy of both sides, uh, you know, who complain about government by executive Correct. order when the other guys are in power Same and, thing. Then, and then proceed to, to uh, you know, up the ante uh, when they get it is, is absurd, but it's the way we're, it's where we're at. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it does allow her to be very specific. 
mm-hmm. to talk about things that people understand because they're already somewhat familiar with them. I mean, we've yep. had the Muslim travel <clears throat> bans. Mm-hmm. We've had some of these things, the Paris Accord and so on. Uh, so it, it allows her to give a good list of concrete understandable proposals and counter a little bit the sense that, you know, maybe Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have been the idea candidates. Well, she's rolled out a hundred ideas. Yeah, that's true. What do you think, John? I concur with DJ, and I think that it probably gets her a day or a few days in the news narrative. But she's running in a race where the perceived pragmatic choice, as you just alluded to, Chad, is Vice President Biden. He's leading in every poll she would have to significantly eat into that support, and that's a really tough road to hoe, which suggests to me that perhaps she and many others will directly take on Vice President Biden in these upcoming debates because they feel that this may be their only chance to break out of the pack. Now, of course, that can work both ways. Nearly every public opinion poll among Democrats shows that even if Vice President Biden isn't their preferred presidential choice, He's someone who's widely liked and admired within the party. And so candidates can come across really poorly if they do that. So it's going to be a tightrope during these debates, as I think all of it will be, because, of course, you're going to have 10 people on stage. We saw this with the Republicans in 2015 and 2016. And it's very tough for a candidate who's relatively lower ranked in the polls to break out. Yeah, The attrition, I suspect, is going to be quite rapid. Uh, you know, because there are just so many that, that people are going to start either rising or, or falling. And, of course, you could fall out of the debates very easily if you just drop below 1% uh, in, in enough polls. Well, I just was so – So they're really going to yeah. be under pressure to, to make a splash uh, from the first debate on. As somebody who pays a lot of attention to politics, you guys, I was just watching about an hour and a half ago, Representative John Delaney is up there. And it said presidential candidate. John Delaney, I'm thinking, how many people in this country know that John Delaney is running right now? Um, Slavery reparations has come up at different points in our country's history. And it's front and center today with an important committee hearing on whether a commission should be set up. And parts of the testimony were fairly testy, um, well-known speakers on the issue. Uh, Differing comments on Democrats in the race. This obviously matters a great deal to a number of people, John. You have pushback right away from the Senate Majority Leader saying, listen, kind of the idea that a lot of people have offered up. Republicans saying this happened 150 years ago. Should individuals be held um, in some sort of uh, responsible position now when – There are better ways to deal with this. He also pointed out, listen, Barack Obama was just elected. Others will talk about the idea, let's create a better situation today and going forward. What is your sense on how important this will be in the political presidential cycle? And I guess we don't know how prominent this story will stay. Is it just, is it today that it's an important talker, or does this have legs? And this is a part of the conversation for weeks and months going forward. Important within the Democratic debates. I'm sure it'll be a question, and particularly some candidates who are indeed trying to break through may really press upon the prospect of reparations happening here. I think this is where public opinion polls will matter. A lot of commentators, of course, are saying don't pay any attention to them. But one of the reasons that Vice President Biden is leading so significantly 
is he has a deep reservoir of support with African Americans. And if you look at, yep. as an example, the primary in South Carolina, which happens just a bit after Iowa and New Hampshire and is quite crucial, that's a place where it may be a firewall for the vice president at this point. You also may get some people within the broader debate and certainly within the Democratic ones who say, if we are seriously thinking about this and looking forward to move a commission forward on this, there are other issues out there that perhaps could trigger reparations, including, of course, the treatment of Native Americans, you know, um, all the way back from yeah. the founding of the country and, and so many other grievances that are out there. So, you know, my sense is, is that uh, this is not the last that we've heard of this debate, but especially with Senate Majority Leader McConnell uh, being able to, to thwart nearly anything in the United States Senate, I don't think it's going to get any legislative traction this year. I would uh, say a couple of things. You know, we just got done with the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Mm-hmm. And Americans, all Americans, I think, uh, feel a kind of pride in what our nation did uh, on D-Day and yeah. in World War II and the effort we made to to go over there and, and liberate other peoples. Uh, but if you stop and think about it, it's just as ridiculous for you and I and John and all other Americans who weren't there, didn't have anything to do with World War II, to be proud of it, why is that any less ridiculous than us feeling regret and shame over something that happened when we weren't there? Mm-hmm. But that is the responsibility of our country. So this argument that you know reparations can't even be discussed because you know we weren't there, I think is ridiculous. Yeah, then, we then, have conversations about a lot of stuff. Then we, we can't be proud of our country either. And and this is happening on Juneteenth. You know, but right? that that said, it is it's a terribly divisive issue, and for the Democrats, I think it is just crazy politics to uh, to push literal reparations and try to resolve all the questions of who's going to pay and who's going to receive and how do you calculate that. And it, it is just going to uh, uh, galvanize precisely the voters uh, that they need to, to fight over uh, in this election and, and not in the way they want to. Yeah, and it happens on this day, which looks back at the full abolition of slavery in the U.S. happened this day years and years ago. The last word I'll leave to you, John, because uh, Biden, again, speaking out about how the Senate used to work together, cited how he worked together with two people who back then basically just were segregationists, who just had racist comments in their background, on the record. And Cory Booker, among others, has called for an apology from Joe Biden. I mean, again, is this, you can understand what Biden meant to say, how we can work together for differences, but among all the examples to use, to me this is just another example how Joe Biden doesn't fit the time. Well, it isn't. I concur that it's an example of how he's quite clumsy in terms of his of his examples and what he brings forward. But I think it's going to be a really tough sell to a lot of people when you have President Obama's vice president and someone who both gentlemen say were quite close, not just from a political but from a personal basis. You know, be accused as someone who is racially insensitive, and indeed that reservoir of, of good support that I mentioned before came through immediately because James Clyburn, who's about number three in the House leadership, yep. African-American uh, representative from the state of South Carolina, immediately leapt to Vice President's defense. And he himself mentioned how he 
knew some of these individuals, including, you know, from his state, and how he could work together with them. And of course, he completely disagreed with their politics. So it's an, uh, an unforced error on the vice president's part, part of a pattern that's dogged him through his entire political yeah. career. But I don't think anything that's going to derail him right now. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. DJ Tice and John Rash from the Star Tribune editorial board. It's 152. That is the Lindus Construction Time Check. Time to learn why Lindus is the top installer of LeafGuard brand gutters in the world.